Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Locals to Legends Wrestling Radio, brought to you by Rockstar Records, 810 East Main Street, Tupelo, Mississippi, 662-269-3745. Welcome to Locals to Legends Podcast with your host, the voice of $10 Wrestling, noted author that has never been published, and the heaviest CWA light heavyweight champion in history, the king of all wrestling media, Gene Jackson, and his co-host, the star of Taylor TV, the man who has wrestled Jerry Lawler 1,239 times and never won, Neil, the real deal Taylor. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Locals to Legends Wrestling Radio. I'm your host, the king of all wrestling media, Gene Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my tag team partner, the one, the only, Neil, the real deal Taylor. Neil, how are we doing this evening, sir? Well, Gene, we're living like a caveman over here. Uh, About two days ago, my internet went out and... uh, Everybody's favorite company, AT&T, is telling me it's probably going to be after Memorial Day before they can come out and check my internet service. And I have internet, television, and everything. So um, it's been pretty much, yeah, it's been pretty much my iPad and uh, and uh, DVDs over here for the last two days. So uh, I don't know. I, I You don't know. As the old song goes, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And <laughs> I'm definitely missing some internet. Definitely missing some internet around here right about now. Well, everybody says Neil Taylor's old school. Damn it, you don't get any more old school than that with no internet, watching DVDs. That's that's the truth. I actually watched a wrestling DVD the other night. I watched the uh, uh, 1995 Uncensored pay-per-view. As a matter of fact, I think it's your copy of it. I actually sat here and watched it the other night and... Yeah, it's just every, every day when I come in, Boy. it's like, okay, well, what what movie am I going to watch tonight? <laughs> well, times are bad when you're watching Uncensored 95. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know you've hit rock bottom on the list of things to watch when you got to dust off Uncensored 95, although I'm sure you had recently listened to the uh, What Happened When episode uh, about Uncensored 95, and I almost brought myself to watch it, and I remember, no, no, I, I'm not. That's, I'm good. So Anyway, yeah, so if anybody's got some uh, some wrestling DVDs or anything to donate to Neil Taylor, keep in mind he's over there. He's over there watching Uncensored 95, so times are bad. Uh, but right <laughs> now, we're going to bring somebody on uh, who, who times aren't so bad for. Uh, he's a guy who's been a, a major player in the NWA in recent years. And, of course, I'm talking about none other than the golden boy, the man who says he is the best of the best in professional wrestling, Greg Anthony. Greg, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, how's it going, guys? Doing well. Doing great, doing great. 
Man, I'm a, I'm excited to hear from you, Golden Boy. I haven't you and I haven't uh, talked in a while. I haven't seen you in a long time. So um, I know, man. You've been you've been doing, I know you've been doing some big things since the last time I since the last time I talked to you, and uh, uh, definitely excited to hear that you were going to be on the show this week and uh, wanted to go through and um, I honestly went through and made a few notes of just some questions I wanted to ask just because you know it's stuff I didn't know and and, and I think other people would probably find interesting. Um, I, I guess kind of starting out a little bit. Uh, I guess a little on the generic side. Um, how did you actually get um, into the business? <clears throat> well, um, it actually was, you know, me and John Michael and just a bunch of guys from the Dyersburg, Newburn area. You know, we were all probably between the ages of 15 and 20, and there's probably about 30 of us. And we were all trying to get into wrestling. So we, you know, they, they built a ring <laughs> and we were oh, doing, wow. you know, back, yeah, we were doing backyard kind of bullshit. But John Michael's dad um, was actually a cop in Newburn. And at this time, Memphis Championship Wrestling, you know, was developmental and it was coming through right. and doing a show about once a month in Newburn. And they were drawing about 30 people. And John Michael's dad, went to Terry Golden and said, hey, listen, my son and his friend are, are trying to break in the business. Can you help them? And Terry Golden, being um, smarter than people give him credit for sometimes, um, said, sure, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll put him on in an intermission match. So we went to the building <laughs> one day before a show, and he kind of saw what we could do. Of course, you know, we were – you know, we weren't – we didn't know anything about psychology or anything like that, obviously. But, I mean, we could do some right. stuff, you know. So he showed us a couple things, and so we wouldn't kill ourselves pretty much. And he put <laughs> us on an intermission match, and um, that intermission match was actually semi-main event, and there was 200 people there that night. Wow. So, so uh, what, was the, uh, what was the actual match? We, uh, like, what do you mean? Like, what did we, what did we do uh, in the match? Uh, no, 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 no. Who was involved? Who, who did you uh, Who did you work with in just, that match? It was just me versus John Michael. Oh, okay, okay. I, I, I thought and you he, were referring to a group of folks. That's that's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, he um, yeah, he didn't like. We weren't allowed to be in the locker room, you know. But we were we were, we had our own place ourselves, and he said we'd have this intermission match. Blah blah blah. Ref came and talked to us. That kind of thing. But, like, that was when, you know, uh, William Regal was there, you know, uh, Reckless Youth, uh, R-Truth was there. Obviously, he was K-Crush then. You know, I mean, it was just right. a host of guys that just so much talent was in that locker room. It was ridiculous. But, I mean, um, and, you know, some, some people, like Reckless Youth, for instance, he was very, very nice and humble to us. You know what I mean? Like, he actually came over to our locker room and was like, man, I just want to tell you guys, you know, um, I'm glad that you're trying to get in the business. I'm glad you're trying to do this. Well, well, good luck to you. You know, he gives a really good pep talk and stuff like that. And he wasn't being – I don't believe he was ever being condescending or anything like that because I've talked to Reckless actually in the last couple of years about that. And, he, you know, he was very humble about everything. So I always – I always, it always meant a lot to me that he came over and said that to us. That is, uh, that is pretty cool because, you know, uh, um, 
especially those that group of guys, you know, in the being developmental, you know, they they definitely didn't have to do that, you know, <laughs> they could have just let y'all yeah, I mean, like, go out, yeah, I mean, and do whatever you wanted to. Yeah, Dan, I mean, Daniel Bryan was there. You know, he was still under the hood as American Dragon. Shooter Schultz was there. Lance Cade was there. I mean, all those guys were there. Um, but I mean, we did that for <clears throat> we did that for probably a couple months, and, and that was in 2000. We did that for a couple months, and then um, that's when developmental got pulled from them. And then we right. caught on with we caught on with NWA Mid South here in Dyersburg, which was ran by Alvin Menick and Jim Princeton at the time. And they started using us weekly. So, I mean, that's really when we started getting to work and train and, and do everything like we were supposed to do. Yeah, and that was – I think that was right around the time that I first met you. Uh, uh, I'd come up with, with Hollywood Jimmy some. You know, he was coming up like every week then. And I think mm-hmm. that was when uh, – I think that was when we actually first met. Um, yeah, yeah. Getting into the, uh, getting into the business, what – what what did you find the most challenging about learning about the business at, when you first broke in? I, it's just one of those things like you, you don't really know. Like you think you know about wrestling until you get in and you realize how little you actually fucking know. You know what I mean? Right. And that and that's that was kind of the biggest mind blown thing for me. You know what I mean? It's like I thought I knew how this. I knew what was going on, and I didn't know a thing. You know, like the first time someone told me, um, the first time I heard the phrase uh, "tell a story," I was like, "What the fuck are they talking? I have to sit down and read a book to them? What? I don't understand. What do you <laughs> like? I couldn't, I couldn't comprehend what they were talking about. But at the same time, I was already doing it because I was mimicking all the NWA stuff that I grew up watching. So I was already doing Flair Luger stories. You understand? Right. Without knowing, I was telling a story. Yeah, yeah, I understand that, and that that was, you know, I, I just share that with you. The same sentiment. I had no idea. <laughs> it was like, you know, because I, no. I, I kind of under, I understood, I understood what they were kind of what they were talking about because I had seen it in matches and I felt the story and I, you know, you you walk along with the, with the match. But as far as being able to do that myself, you know, just totally lost just to how you had put that together. Um, yeah, I had I had no concept of any of that kind of stuff. Like I didn't really know. I mean, I knew the baby faces were always, you know, at the first part of the match, they always did their shit, and then in the middle, the, right. you know, the baby faces got their ass kicked. And then I knew that whatever happened, but I never, like, we never really did like a true comeback or anything like that. It was always like it was always like you just one took over. Like, the baby, well, the baby face would hit like one thing. And then, like, right. I would beat them somehow. I don't – you know what I mean? It wasn't – there wasn't ever really, like, a comeback comeback. So that was something we had to learn later. Right, right. So who's the first person you remember that, that sat you down and went, hey, man, look, here's some here's some shit y'all need to know. Like, does somebody stand out as really the first person that really dropped some knowledge on y'all that really kind of shed some light on that? Well, you know, you know, there wasn't yeah, – everything was so – everyone seems very – close everybody kept everything so close to their chest on a lot of things you know what i mean like there wasn't really anything that was really stepping out to really help us help us learn 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 you know what i mean like alan Steele, which alan Steele had been working maybe a year and a half two years longer than us at that point you know but he was the first one that that hey shine heat comeback finished 
You know, I was like, oh, what what did you say? Say that again. <laughs> and, you know, shine, you know, shine, heat, comeback, finish. And then um, it was just little stuff from there because, you know, they they were trained by, you know, Dundee. He was trained by Dundee, Dundee and then, like, Simon, and then were trained by Don Bass and things like that. So they would say things thinking that we knew when we didn't, and I would just pick up on it. <laughs> so, like, they right, were teaching yeah. me without without knowing they were teaching, you know? Right. But I mean, like I guys like, Go ahead. you know, guys like R- Ricky Hayes and Motley. Obviously, Motley, you know, Motley was always good about taking young guys and fucking trying to teach them at least. You know what I mean? And I spent a lot of time yeah, yeah. With, with Motley in a ring and doing this and doing that. So I mean, I I owe him quite a bit too. And then once Mo came along too, Mo started teaching me about, you know, the 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 inside of the business, the business of the business. You know what I mean? And that was that was an eye opener too. Like, you know, you hear his story about his run and what happened and what didn't happen and stuff like that and you're kinda of, well, I need to I need to keep my head on straight, you know. Right. What uh what do you think is the what what's the biggest thing that he taught you that sticks out that that you know, it was it was probably kind of the, the key thing that stuck out that, that, that you you try to um, follow, you know, even today. What, what was something that he taught you that just really stuck out to you? You talking about Mo? Or yeah, 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 Mo. Yeah, Mo. Like I said, he taught me the business of the business. It was really is like you know, listen. If if Vince McMahon wants you to go out there and someone fucking touch you with the, their fucking pinky finger and lay down, he's the boss. He owns the company, and that's what you're going to do because he's paying you. You know what I mean? So that's kind of right. that mindset from there. The the promoter and the booker are the bosses. You know, you do to the best of your ability what they want you to do. You know, right. uh, and that's kind of what that's kind of what he he you know, <clears throat> that's kind of how he booked and that's how he promoted stuff like that. If he wanted you to do something, that you did it. You know what I mean? If you didn't do it, you try to convince him that you know it wasn't a good idea. But you know, for the most right. part, you you did what, you did what you were asked. You know. And I think that's yeah. that's one of the things that a lot of people, and this happens in the Northeast a lot. This like the Northeast guys. I'll get I'll get into some arguments with some some guys from there, and like like they want to kick the shit out of each other, you know, and they want to be stiff, and they want to do all the stuff. But the minute you start talking to them about psychology and the whys, and you shouldn't do that and stuff like that, then all of a sudden it's a phony business. So it's, it's yeah, just right. wrestling. We can do, it's just wrestling. We can do whatever we want. Well, no, you gotta. You're contradicting yourself. You understand? I mean, either it's it's legitimate, and you're trying to present it as legitimate. That's why you're kicking me in the back of so fucking hard. Then we need to follow psychology, and you shouldn't be able to kick me seventy times and me kip up. Or right. it's or it's phony. In which case, I, I made this argument once too. Is like. Someone was trying to tell me that it was, you know, all oh, wrestling's phony. It doesn't matter. You know, you can do whatever you want. It's art. You know, whether okay, fine. My gimmick now is that I'm an alien and I'm invincible, so I'm not gonna bump for you, <laughs> and I'm not gonna do anything. So, and then one big thing is I act like I'm going to hit you and you fall down and then I pin you. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, well, I mean, that's a great happen. argument. I mean, yeah, I mean, I've said for years, like if if we're going on the premise this is all phony and everybody knows it's phony, there's no need to beat the shit out of each other because they're not going to believe that anyway. So, 
Yeah, Cornette said it best. I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard it too. You've probably listened to as much Cornette as I do. But he said, you know, this used to be a business where we pretended to hurt each other and everyone believed it. Now it's we really fucking hurt each other and no one believes it. <laughs> That's, That's dead on. <laughs> but I mean that's well, and that's why and I've I you know I've been wrestling, you know, 17 years now. And you know, those 30 guys that I talked about that we started with, there's only two of us left. It's me and Simon. <laughs> you know, after all those years because, because everyone else you was coming up in that ECW kind of style and things started getting faster and more bumps and more moves and more brain busters and more stuff like that. And they're all gone now. They're not wrestling. And, of course, some of them are gone because they got married and had kids like that. But a lot of them are gone because they can't wrestle anymore physically. Yeah. yeah. They just yeah physically can't do it anymore. Yeah, that's uh... – you know, and, and being from this area, and I think if anybody can, can back up this statement, it'd be you, is – I'm, and and I hate because we talk about him so much on this uh, on this show is going back to Jerry Lawler. You know everybody talks about how good a shape Lawler's in for his age and everything. Well, you know Lawler understood the basics and he took the basics and just expounded on them and made them mean so much. So he didn't have to you know go out and just take a beating or. or, or or really beat somebody up or, or, you know, at the risk of, at the risk of, uh, or I guess backing up Rip Rogers, not having to do a bunch of dives and a bunch of flippy do's, you know, Lawler just took the basics and, and, and learned psychology and learned where to put them and learned how to sell and God learned how to sell if anything else, you know, and he's only 70 years old and he's still wrestling to this day. And I mean, that's, if there's no other testament to the fact that, you know, you don't have to do all that stuff, it's it's Jerry Lawler, and you can see that, you know, you can see that today. Well, that's and that's something that I've really, you know, I've always been big on that anyway. I mean, for, I don't know what it was about me, but I always had the mindset of less is more. And, you know, that that's something that I, I've always carried with me, and it's, it's worked wonders for me, you know, so – uh, two stories about that actually. One is we had Tracy Smothers in not long ago, and uh, yeah. Tracy watched my Tracy watched my match, and when I got to the back, he said, "Man, he said, he said I'm gonna I'm gonna start calling you Dusty Law because you're just out there selling your ass, <laughs> you know." And, and like you said, that's what it's all about. It's not about bumping; it's about selling. You know, a move only means as much as you sell it. You know. Um, I worked a kid that was, you know, 400 pounds, not, you know, about a month or so ago or six weeks ago or something like that. And, um, he shot me in the corner and he gave me the big splash in the corner and you could hear the air in the building go out when he splashed me in the corner. Like they believe that, you know what I mean? Like they're, yeah. you know what I mean? They're like, oh, the building went, oh, that, right? But instead yeah. of letting me sell it, sell that you know he immediately like i st- i started kind of stumble out of the corner and he immediately picked me up and sidewalk right so he took all yeah. of his effort and all of his work towards that splash in the corner and he took it away just by immediately giving me the thing I, and that's what i told him i said just give me the one thing and let me sell it because it's going to mean a lot more to you and me mm-hmm. um exactly and then yeah 
And then like Lawler. And you know, on Lawler, you know, I saw Lawler. I, I saw Lawler in a match from like it had to have been like eighty three, eighty four in San Antonio or something like that. And he was working Bob Sweetan. I'm sure you guys have seen this match. And yes. um you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? So he mm-hmm. <laughs> Lawler Lawler had never been to San Antonio before, right? So Lawler spends like ten minutes, I swear to God, ten minutes <laughs> he spends just jaw jacking with the crowd and wasting time and stalling and everything else, right? Because they had never right. seen him wrestle before, so they have no idea what he does or does not do, you know? And then eventually he sneak attacks Bob Sweetan, gets on him for like a half a second, and then Bob makes the comeback and gives him the big pile driver for nowhere. And Lawler sells it like it was the biggest thing ever, you know, and the place went nuts. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And and that's and that's what we talk about, you know, it's you don't have to do you don't have to be able to do everything, but everything you do, you have to be able to do well. You know? Yeah. And I think that's the mistake people make. I think people I think when people hear like guys like us sitting on a podcast uh, you know, making this argument uh, they say, well, you know, it's just people that want to, you know, they want to be lazy. They don't want to get in there and, and do things. Nobody's saying you don't do anything. You just make the things you do mean something. You know, I mean, it's not like, okay, we're just going to get in the ring and stare at each other for 20 minutes and then, you know, go home. But, you you know, you like you say, you know, sell that splash. You, hell, you can hit a big splash and, and work that for several minutes. You know, you struggling to get up. He take his foot and push you back to the mat or whatever, you know. But instead, he hits that big splash, you get that reaction, and like I say, he kills it by immediately snatching you up and going to the next thing. Um, yeah. And I, I, but I think that's one thing people misunderstand. Like, we're not making a case for being lazy and not doing anything. We're just making a case for selling and making what you do mean something <laughs> for, you know, doing it. See, the thing is, like, when guys sit there and say that, that, that like, me or the, the way that I storytell – is lazy, it upsets me because to me it's the opposite. They're lazy for not learning how to work. You know what I mean? Not putting the yeah, time right. in to learn how to actually work. You know, like, listen, I'm not, you know, you guys, you know, Neil's been in the room with me before. You know, I'm pretty fluid. There's not much in wrestling that I, I physically can't do. But I mean, I don't have to do everything. And that's what I learned. I don't have to go out there and show everybody every move I've ever known and every move I could possibly do. Guys are so afraid of the silence, it's ridiculous. And I wrote, a, I wrote an article about it. It's actually called you know, um, Learn to Love the Silence, I think is what it's called. And it's basically, yeah. you know, in a match, a match is a roller coaster, and you need, those, you need those valley lows just as much as you need those mountain highs. You understand? And guys are like, if they grab a hole and the people aren't there immediately – screaming their heads off, then they're scared. They think they're doing something wrong, and if their match is the shit, then they need to do something. And they start filling it with all this unnecessary shit that ends up yeah. that ends up doing nothing. It doesn't it doesn't make them love your baby face or hate your heel anymore. It just you're filling this microwave society kind of thing of we want everything right now. You know, one of the things that drives me crazy, and 
and and Gildable, I know you've seen this, and and I know Gene has too. Is when you get in there with a with a big guy, and of course, you know, there's not a ton of just big guys on the independent scene, but you know, if you get in the ring with somebody that's you know six five, six six, and you know they're green or whatever, and and you get in there with them, and they'll start talking. You know, you get in the dressing room, and you start going through the match, and they start calling spots and stuff they want to do where they're just they're they're bumping like Ray Mysterio and you're like you know why do you want to take all these bumps you don't have to there's no reason you should ever leave your feet but maybe once and you gotta yeah. and you make the baby face work for that you know that that's something I guess that's just a pet peeve it, it, that drives me crazy because it's happened to me so many times and they're just like yeah and I'll, I'll, I'll take whatever bumps you want me to and I'm like you're probably going to take one <laughs> And we're going to make that one mean something, you know, because you're a big guy. Why would I get in the ring and just bounce you all over the place? We're not, you know, we're not accomplishing anything. And that's, you know, like I said, I I guess that's something one of my pet peeves is, you know, if if you're going to take a bump because it's, you know, it's it's like everybody in the past has always said, and and I've become a huge fan of Rip Rogers, and I don't know if y'all follow him on Twitter, but, you know, he said not long ago, you've only got so many bumps on your bump card, so make them mean something. You yeah, know, exactly. yeah. that's it's the absolute truth. And, you know, it, it's, it took me a long time to realize that, you know. but Well, I mean, just every, it goes with, you know, people aren't they're, – they're trying to put together a video game match and not try to tell a story. You know, when, um, you know, the Legion of Doom – how many times did you ever see the Legion of Doom bump? Ever, <laughs> you know, actually, exactly. physically bump. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm saying. Like right now, you know, right now we've got the Authors of Pain on NXT. You know, and they've been working. They've worked a program with, um, you know, Johnny Gargano and Tampa. Uh, and like, as much as they would put those guys over as big, strong guys, right? Right, there's yeah. always that moment. There's always that moment in the match where Champa German suplexes one of these guys that's supposed to be 400 pounds. Now Champa's like mm-hmm. 180, 190 maybe, and he's German suplexing these guys. And that's the moment when people go bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, I, I had this. I had this talk with Dreamer one time when he was working for TCW, and because um, I, I rem- I've actually remember this watching on television, like. When Lesnar first got to WWE, and it's in his rookie year, and he's you know they're doing the thing where he's running through the roster, and um, he had a match with Dreamer, and Dreamer did a spot where <clears throat> he ended up picking Lesnar up on his shoulders for like the DVD, and and, and Lesnar slipped down and gave him something, right? Right. And like he said, he got to the back, and they go, "You can't pick up Lesnar," and he goes, "No, I I picked him up, but he was up on my shoulders." He's like, "No, no, you don't understand, you." can't pick up Lesnar. And it was kind of like he had that moment of, oh, I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It all, every, when you tell a story, it, it goes it goes character, and then you figure out what story you're telling the match. So, you know, if I'm working a guy – like I worked a guy that was um, – he, he was six foot eleven and three quarters without his boots on. Okay, so, wow. so he was like he was like seven two seven three with his boots on, right? 
And, right. you know, obviously I did not bump that motherfucker at all. I mean, there's no way. Right. There's no, there's no, there's nothing believable that I could do to him to give him a bump like that. You know what I mean? I'm maybe five foot eight. You know, I was like, I think I was like 210 pounds at the time. And here he is, you know, 350, 400, and that's all, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, I, but we still worked at believable matches. The stuff that I did was believable, but he never bumped from me. You know what I mean? Yeah. But people, people yeah. wouldn't watch the match and go, people wouldn't watch the match and go, well, you know, he never, um, they wouldn't be, be able to articulate the whys or the hows. But everything we did made sense, you know what I mean? Right. And I took it. I took a toke slam from that big bastard. <laughs> that was probably like ten feet in the air. <laughs> I tell you, two of my favorite exercises in psychology I've ever, I've ever seen, and this has stuck with me ever since I saw it. Uh, Al Snow in a training seminar one time. You know, he's, he's taking these pairing guys up and he's giving them. Okay, here's the match. Four minutes, and you know this is what I want. So he takes two guys, and he says, "All right, six minutes. Here's a story. You know, you, you lock up. He takes you in a headlock, and the story of this match is you're in a headlock, and you're trying to get out of this headlock, and that's it. Don't do anything else. Work the headlock, but don't do not do anything else but the headlock until the finish, where you roll him up and you know get the pin. So right. bell rings." And he didn't tell him when he had to take him in the headlock. So they the bell rings, they lock up, bam, headlock. He goes, all right, you're in it now, work it. And so they get through, you know, two, three, four minutes of it. And finally, you know, they break the headlock and he, you know, he jumps in and goes, whoa, 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 you fucked it up already. So they're like, you can't do that. You can't work a headlock for six minutes. And he goes, oh, really? So he grabs one of the guys, goes, all right, ring the bell, ding, ding, takes them. They, you know, walk around the ring a little bit, work the crowd a little bit, lock up, takes him in the headlock, drops down to one knee. The guy works up. They work back down, headlock takedown. They go down the mat. They work it on the mat for a minute. The guy tries to work his way up. Al takes him back down. And, you know, they worked around the ring. He worked to the crowd. He's not going to get out of this headlock. And then the guy would go to shoot him off, and he would grab him by the hair and hold on. And for six minutes, it was a believable match of Al Snow with this guy in a headlock till finally – uh, the guy manages to slip out of the headlock, rolls him up, small package, one, two, three. And all the students sitting there watching, everybody popped. And he's like, yeah. we just worked a six-minute match with a fucking headlock, people. And I, that has always stuck with me. I'm like, that is freaking awesome. I mean, you don't have to know. I mean, neither one of those guys really had to know how to do anything but apply a headlock and sell a headlock and then roll somebody up. And you could go out in front of a crowd and work a six-minute match if you had to. I mean, I don't recommend it if that's all you know. But And then my other favorite thing real quick, and Neil can attest to this one, uh, stole this from Memphis, and I'm sure, uh, Greg, you're well aware, you're probably this old angle, because they used it a couple of different times, and they used it in Continental with the Nightmares, uh, the gimmick where uh, you can't throw a punch. If somebody throws a punch, they lose. I, I booked that with Neil and a guy named Donnie Primetime when I was doing the Twin States thing. And, uh, you know, you work this whole match where if somebody throws a punch, they automatically lose, and you build it, and you build it, and you let the heel sneak in, you know, sneak them in here and there. 
and people pop for punches at the end. You know, Donnie finally snaps and starts punching Neil, and they went berserk, and it didn't take a dive to the floor or a fucking, you know, flaming table or anything crazy. It was simple punches. But by putting that gimmick in place, you made the punch mean something, and people freaking pop for it. And I love those kind of things that just prove psychology works, you know, now, then, anytime, if you if you use it right. Yeah, I mean, you can you can work a match around anything if you're smart enough to do it. Like, that, I loved that. I love for people to put parameters on me and see if I could, you know, still have the best match on the card with those parameters. Like, one time mm-hmm. I worked um, – I worked Cody Melton, okay? <clears throat> Cody gets – this is an outdoor show in Humboldt, of all places. And uh, <laughs> Cody gets there, and he's like, man, I, I just had a root canal, you know? And my you could tell his jaw was fucking swollen as shit, you know? And he's all like, right. man, I can't take anything – I can't take anything towards my face at all. I was like, okay, perfect. Watch this. <laughs> So I go out there and I cut I cut the promo before the match. I say, you know what, people people always ask me why am I the Golden Boy Great? Is it because I have you know gold boots? Is it because I like gold watches? <clears throat> Is it because I win championships? Is actually because I am actually a three time Golden Glove boxing champion, right? And, oh wow! Uh, this one, I said I said this. I didn't, this I didn't know that. that. Well, that's, that's <laughs> bullshit. Not at all. <laughs> Fucking I Mark. Said, I said, yeah, see, I, I got him too. See? Well, damn it. <laughs> well, you got the so hey, fame, one, motherfucker. So you didn't really get anybody. <laughs> you got the easiest <laughs> one, golden boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I say, and this right hand right here, this right hand, I have the best right hand in all of boxing, sports, wrestling, everything. If I hit him with this right hand, he's going to be knocked out cold. Right? So we go to the match, and, of course, the shine is I'm trying to punch him with the right hand, and he keeps reversing into wrestling. Right? So, like, mm-hmm. I would go to punch him. He, he would duck. I would hit the ropes, big hip toss, powder. Or, you know, I would go to punch him in the corner. He'd move out of the way. I'd hit, come back out, big backdrop. You know, stuff like that the entire time. <clears throat> Eventually, I get – Eventually, I get heat. I'm just kind of, you know, ground and pound, kind of, you know, um, just kicks and stuff like that, you know, back elbow, that kind of thing. So then um, we go to the finish. We start doing some false finishes back and forth, blah, blah, blah. And then I cut him off. Like, I rake his eyes. And I step back, and I'm fixing to hit him with this big right hand, this haymaker I've been talking about all night. I go to hit him. He blocks it, punches me. I beat my back. He schoolboys me. One, two, three. We're out of fucking town. You know what I mean? Nice. And yeah. they popped, they punched wow. huge on it, and we threw, and that was one punch. He hit me with one punch and got over. You know what I mean? Love it. Yeah, I mean, and there's stuff like that. I told, and I I love, you know, like you said, you know, I gave one kid. He was a great kid, has a lot of potential, things like that. And I booked him for a show. He he was very uh, Japanese wrestling, very. Um, you know, Ring of Honor, very, you know, that kind yeah. of thing, right? And I would watch his matches. He would send me links to his matches, and he was throwing fucking 50, 60, 70 strikes, it seems like, you know, <laughs> like 10 at a time, you know, something like that. 
<clears throat> and I tell him, you know, I, I book him for this match, and I tell him before he goes to the match, I said, listen, okay, in this match, you can only throw three strikes this whole match. And it just completely fucked up his world. Like, he went out there and had <laughs> one of the worst matches I've seen because he was so worried about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to learn. You have to learn to work around any parameter. I've had, you know, don't punch, don't touch the ropes, don't do this, don't do that. One time I worked, um, Tucker, Del Tucker, he uh, he hyperextended his knee on a Wednesday, and we were supposed to work in Rector on Friday. And he's like, man, I don't think I can do it. I hyperextended my knee; it really hurts really bad, stuff like that. I said, well, just just get just get to Rector, and we'll figure it out. Okay. So we get the rector, we have the match. I come home that night, and I have it on VHS tape, right? This is how long ago it was. I have it on VHS tape. Yeah. And, uh, wow. I sit down, I show my wife, I pop the thing, hey, watch this match between me and Tucker. She watches the match. It was a good match. She, she said, oh, that was good. I said, did you notice anything? She's like, no, I didn't. What? I said, Tucker couldn't walk. What do you mean Tucker couldn't walk? I said, he hyperextended his knee Wednesday, and he couldn't walk. Like he legitimately could not walk on his left on his left knee. He's like, how did you? How did that even happen? I was like, well, everything we did was one step, one step to the ropes, one step to me. You know, so it didn't seem like he yeah. couldn't do it. We just sold it like that. No one, no one knew but me and him. And that's old school. I mean, that's how guys work through injuries. Yeah. Back in the day, you didn't go take eight months off because you, you know, did something to your knee or your shoulder or whatever. You come up with creative ways to work matches around it, you know, and I mean that's that's just the way it was, and that's I mean I, that's always cool to hear stuff like that, that you know, because most people are just like, well, I'm hurt, I can't wrestle, you know, like hey, no, we'll get in here, we'll figure it out, we'll work around it. There's stuff we can do, you know, if you know how to tell a story. You know, I, I just tagged with Jimmy Bowen, you know, like you know a month or so ago, and uh, <clears throat> he had the people in the palm of his hand, and yeah, obviously he didn't bump. You know what I mean? Right. He's seventy four. He's seventy four years old, but he he told went out there, told a story, did what he does, and was very entertaining. And and he's you know, and people believed it and bought it, and you know, it was one of the biggest houses. I, it's all about telling the story. But if you if you went out there and tried to have a strong style Ring of Honor match with Jimmy Valiant, then it, it would have got over like a fart in church. <laughs> 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 yeah, cause I, I think the first time you kicked Jimmy, I think he would just left. <laughs> hold on, brother. I hadn't stuck my finger up your ass yet. Hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Yeah, I mean, my daddy. Let me kiss you my first. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, did, he did all. Yeah, he did all of his stuff, man. And it was all, it was all over. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's funny. I worked with him like the first part of last year, and and you know he's he, even at his age now, he still does all the exact same stuff he did before, and it all still gets over because you know it's it, it's funny how a lot of that stuff is so timeless. You know that um, everybody talks about how old school is boring and everything else, but it always works and. And you always seem like you always revert back to it in some situation. You know, or, or in most instances, it seems like you always do. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. like I just I just posted on my Facebook. You know, I'm I'm not a Kevin Owens fan at all for several reasons. But God like, damn I, it, I we're gonna him. dump this call. 
<laughs> so, so you got heat with Gene. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this ain't the show to say that on, but go ahead. Well, he, he had, I saw an interview with him years ago where he was, he was bad-mouthing Cornette. He was saying that Cornette was, you know, Cornette was passe and all of his ideas were dated. None of that stuff works anymore. And he was talking about specifically this idea about how um, Cornette wanted him to do, you know, he was the Canadian doing, and then we'd have an American and they'd do the border wars kind of thing. And, you know, and he was specifically saying that stuff doesn't work anymore. So like that, and I was like, if anything in wrestling works, it's that. You know, that American yeah. versus the foreigner angle, that has worked for, you know, every decade we've ever wrestled in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, in the, 40, in the 40s, you know, we actually had guys in Nazi gimmicks, you know, wrestling and stuff like that. And it worked today. Right. And now look at him, look what he's doing now. He's the Canadian saying that he's the face of America. So he's actually doing right. the gimmick that he's say, and it's probably going to be one of the things he's remembered for. And I think, I think honestly, if you sat down with the guy, I think he would probably not in front of a camera, but be willing to say that he's gone back and learned since that, that, you know, Cornette wasn't as, as past, you know, his ideas weren't as, as, you know, outdated as, as he thought at the time. But at the same time, I think, Cornette would even probably say that well Kevin Owens wasn't as bad as he said he was. I think I think those two are just two strong-willed individuals that once they locked horns, neither one of them was going to admit anything good about the other one. You know what I mean? Like uh, <laughs> right. I don't know. And and, and yeah. Cornette's ideas are outdated in in some respects, especially if you're booking Ring of Honor cuz I'm sorry, you know, Ring of Honor is a different animal than Dyersburg or Tupelo or any of the shows we're talking about like you can go out there and sell and do some of that stuff and it'll work for a couple matches but I mean those folks are there unfortunately they they've been programmed they're there to see the 27 high spots and the 19 false finishes and the guy fly out into the crowd and if you don't give them that at some point they're going to shit on it I mean that's that's been proven you know yeah so I don't think Cornette's necessarily the guy to book Ring of Honor well, it's the same case. I think they needed the cornet because they do all that stuff. Like you said, the 17 dives and all the stuff like you're talking about, and they're still in the exact same you know place that they've been for the last 10 years. You know what I mean? At some point, you have to book to the masses. You know, if you're going to be niche booking, you're going to be niche booking. But if you want to, if you want to progress and move forward, then you're going to have to tell those stories that, like we're talking about, those old school, tried and true things that we know work. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like I think I, it's know. I think that's been kind of the hitch in wrestling the last few years is you either find a niche audience and you succeed at that or you decide I'm gonna to appeal to the masses and then you're trying to appeal to the WWE crowd and it it never works. I mean, it never it, you know, it always falls on its ass in the end if you try to get too big yeah. and, and appeal to too many people. Well no, it's just the people it's not that they're trying. They're trying to appeal to. Okay, like my my vision for NWA Mid South. I I know without a shadow of doubt I cannot be bigger than WWE. You know, there's just it's impossible, right? But my goal was to be when people said wrestling in Dyer County, then they would think of me before they would think of WWE, and I think that's a realistic goal. You know, so yeah. you have to know your market. You have to know your market in that sense. Like everybody you talk to, they like they want to. They want to be global. You know, they want to be this. Well, 
don't be global. Be be territorial. You know, that's my thing. I want to be the only company from Dyersburg to Memphis. You know, what I mean, that's what I that's what I would like. And me running right. actual territory where we're running, you know, four or five, six nights a week. You know, that's that's my goal personally. You know, and I think that's a realistic goal for myself. You know, um, yeah. you have to, when you're when you're booking, if you're looking at it as a business, <laughs> and, you're, and you're trying yeah. to put an ass every, and you're trying to put an ass every eighteen inches, then you need to think what is what can I do to get the most people possible. And for me, that's that's booking a family-friendly show towards kids. Because one thing, I'm not just booking – I'm not hot shot booking any, either. You know what I'm saying? I'm booking for the long right. haul. You know, so I want the kids that are that are that are here now and they're five years old. You know, in ten years when they're 15, I want them bringing all their high school friends in my show. And then the kids that were 15 now, ten years from now when they're 25, I want them bringing their five-year-olds. You know, so that's why I'm booking that's towards right. the kids because that's no one wakes no one wakes up 40 years old and goes, you know what, I'm going to be a wrestling fan today, unless they have kids. <laughs> yeah, I've right. met more people. I've met more people in the last you know two and a half three years that were like, yeah, I was a wrestling fan when I was a kid, but I, I got out of it, the kind of thing. But my, you know, my son here, he's seven, he loves it now, so we come every week. You know. Yeah, that's my brother. My brother, yeah. we we all we watched wrestling, and then he quit for fifteen, twenty years, whatever it was. And now he's got a son who's like, you know, he's five years old, and he's a John Cena fan. And now my brother's back hooked watching it again. He's listening to this podcast yeah. right now because of his son. You know, that, that, yeah. yeah, that's very prominent. Yeah, prime prime example, and that's what I'm saying. Like, <clears throat> you know, I people can. You know, like I said, anybody can have a wrestling company and book whatever they want to book, stuff like that. I just know from my personal experiences what I believe to be true about wrestling. You know, and I believe that it's always going to be good versus evil. It's going to be, it's always going to be in a realistic spectator sport kind of setting. So it has to be as realistic as possible. You know, so there has to be a believability factor to it. So that's what we. We try to book towards in all cases. Look, yeah. it, let me. Ask I mean, I, I get that. Yeah, let me ask you something, and and this is something that 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 that, that kind of I've never understood. What what's your stance on on booking like babyface versus babyface matches? You know, in a in a weekly show and or you know type setting, or or, or maybe even something that you do. In the same location, maybe like monthly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my philosophy has always been everybody wants somebody to boo and somebody to cheer. And right. when you start shaking up that equation, it just—I I don't know—it all—it almost seems kind of tainted a little bit. What, what's your view on booking like babyface versus babyface matches? Well, I mean, okay, we run every Friday and every Saturday night. You know, so we, you know, we put together 10, 12 matches a week, right? Um, right. In order, in order to give people um, a fresh match, every once in a while you have to do a baby versus baby, and to the lesser extent, a heel versus heel. Um, right. Now the baby, the, like I just had a baby baby match 
um, a couple weeks ago with the tornado, who is you know one of our rookie mass kids that's on our show, right? right. And um, we set it up in the sense of you know we have the the um, the heel in charge kind of thing going on in Ripley right now. And he was, like, berating the tornado about how, you know, he wasn't good enough to be in the NWA. And, you know, he's thinking about getting rid of him to bring in better talent, you know, that kind of thing. And I came out and defended the tornado and said that he was, you know, he's one of the best young talents in the entire NWA. He's this, he's this, he's this, he's this. And he said, well, if you love him so much, how about you give him a title star right now? Give me a referee. And he made us wrestle each other. And then we went, you know, we went 15 minutes, the little bell. Just a really good baby, baby, back and forth wrestling match, and eventually I beat him. But I mean, I beat him clean, and but he came out stronger on the other side because he went, you know, toe to toe with the champion. He went toe to toe with Greg Anthony, whatever you want to call it. And um, so it worked in that sense, you know. And a lot of other baby face matches too. You have to book it where it's where he is, you know. Friend versus friend, but there's something on the line. Like, uh, the winner of this gets the title shot. You know what I mean? So, like, and then when you're baby, baby, you're in the middle of the match, there has to be that heated moment where, like, you know, like, say we're uh, we're wrestling, we're wrestling, and then um, I go behind him, he go behind me, and out of instinct, I elbow him in the face. And then, as I'm coming to say, oh, shit, I didn't mean to do that, he he fucking forms the shit out of me. And then there's that moment like, you know, that, that intense moment of, okay, we, you want to do this? Let's go. And then it becomes more right. heated after that. But like I said, there's, you know, there's a time and place for everything. And I'm, I'm like I said, I'm a firm believer that you can do a lot of, uh, most anything you want to do if you do it correctly. You know, I think, I think just having a baby face match just to have a baby face match is, is a little different. But, um, if you put the thing, if you put all the, like I said, if you put all the pieces on the chessboard in the correct place, then it, that'll work out. Right, and it's, you know, but it, it is, it just seems like to me that when you come out now, I understand what you're saying. If you're talking about like if it's a, some kind of a match where there's a like some sort of stipulation where it's a, you know, the winner's a number one contender or. If it's a title match or something like that, I, I kind of understand that. But you know, it 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 still even seems a little bit like if, if the baby faces that are in the match are strong baby faces, you know, mm-hmm. as far as getting over, it, it always seems like it does more to hurt than help because you're splitting the audience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing too. It's like like in the territory. I hate, I hate doing those matches. Yeah. In the territory days, they actually used they they would actually do it to kind of um, they would do it to kind of to measure the audience. You know what I mean? Like, say right. me and Neil are are the two top baby faces in the company, right? And I say I'm the top baby face, and Neil says he's the top baby face, right? And right. Uh, you know we've got that situation. Of course, here's the deal. Back then, it was about money. You know, top baby face made more money, right? Right. So if if I say I'm the top baby face and technically I'm I the booker is booking me as the top baby face so I'm making three hundred dollars a week but Neil feels he's the top baby face and he's making two hundred a week so then the promoter would go or the booker would go okay we'll put you guys in a baby baby match and we'll see and that's what they would use as a barometer to see 
who was actually the top babyface? Who were they going to cheer for more? And I think you can make those work as long as it gets really intense, but as long as nobody cheats. Because if anybody cheats, then they're the, they're the heel, you know. But as, as long as it gets tense, like you said, they start throwing them elbows, and it can get real heated, and one guy can be a little more intense than the other. But, you you know, as long as you get the handshake and the hug at the end, <clears throat> you can repair all that unless somebody cheats. If somebody cheats, then now, you know, they're basically <laughs> – they turn, you know. If they yeah. head DB off to you and hit you with a loaded glove, then yeah. Right. <laughs> World class uh, used to seem to be the king of that. They would throw those random ass baby baby heel heel especially the heel heel matches where you'd have like Kabuki against the one man gang or the missing link against you know, against yeah. Abdullah or just you know, crazy shit that uh, that the crowd just looked bum-fuzzled, really, at even how to react to. And I don't know, they always stick out to me more than probably any other territory that's throwing the most of those out there, especially on television, than any other company. Yeah, I think so. Like, those those are the hardest. Heel Heel is the hardest one because they're, you're not giving the fans anything to cheer for. You give them the two things they hate. You know, who they hate less, I guess. Yeah. Is what the... But I mean, like I've had, I've had a few, obviously, Heel Heel matches, and we've, we've made it work, but obviously it's never going to be as neither one of them are going to be as good as the, you know, the good versus evil, the baby versus the heel. So. Right. Well, you know, and, and another question, anybody that's followed Greg Anthony and, you know, look at if they've been through your Facebook or, or anything like that, they know that, you know, you've, you've been, you know, lucky enough to work with, my God, a who's who in the business and, you know, being under, been, under a lot of learning trees and stuff like that, who do you think that that you've learned the most from um, that you've that you've come across, you know, during your time in wrestling? Who do you think you've learned the most from? I, I tell you, the guy that really got um, well, there's a couple guys that really got my wheels turning about stuff. You know, early on, we did a, a training camp with Doctor Tom. You know, so Dr. Yeah. Tom Pritchard was one of those that I, I learned more in two days from Tom Pritchard than I'd learned in two years prior, probably. You know, um, so that was a big eye opener. Um, another guy I have to give credit to is Flash Flanagan. You know, Flash was. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Flash was, you know, he was on top in OVW, he was on top in Puerto Rico. And, um, you know, me and Flash, we worked a match in Arkansas. I was heel, he was baby, and uh, he man, he we got to the back, and he just went on and on about how great the match was. He's like, man, that's that awesome. I mean, it was one of the best matches I've had in years, you know. I was like, that's awesome. We get back the next week, and he says, you know, I rewatched that match, and I said, how was it? And he goes, you know, it wasn't as good as I thought it was. And, like, my heart sank because I was like, you know, what the fuck was wrong with it, you know? And he, he told me, he's like, yeah. man, you're just you're, – you're too good. Everything that you do – is so good that no matter what I can do, you're still kind of outshining them. So you need to go out there and you just need to fuck with the people, get heat, and be a heel, punch, kick, choke, kind of stuff, and do that. And I argued with that motherfucker for three weeks about that <laughs> because <laughs> I wanted I wanted to be Mr. Wrestler. I wanted to be Nick Bockwinkle. I wanted to be D. Malenko. I wanted to be you know hold for hold kind of guy. And um, eventually, after that three weeks, I just finally like, threw my hands up in the air and was like, okay, Flash, you win. Fuck it. I'll do it your way. 
And I went out there, and it was like it was like a light bulb went off because I was having to work very little to get a huge reaction after that. And it was like, oh, this is how easy it can be. <laughs> and, that just, and that and that's what kind of set me on the path I, that I'm on now. It was, you know, what 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 can what's the smallest thing I can do and make the most out of it. You know, he's somebody when I was working up 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 your way a lot is he was somebody I wished I would have picked his brain and actually talked to him a little more knowing what I know now. Um, back then, I, he he always just kind of came off to me as just somebody bitter to the business, and he did. I, I don't know, but I, I wish I would have known then what I know now and and really picked his brain more and and talked to him more because you know you're right. You know, Flash had been around for a long time and been on top a lot of different places and very very underutilized and very underestimated as to his ability and you know, and, and his contribution to the business, you know. Yeah. Um and he it's just, it's really cool him. that yeah, it's really cool that I mean, you know, you, you were you know, you guys worked the same area for so long and you were able to learn so much from him. Yeah, I mean we we rode to town together and stuff like that too. I mean it was just it was one of those things where we I mean he knew how much I loved the business and he knew much how much passion I had for it. So I don't think he ever felt like um I don't think he ever felt like disrespected or anything like that. Like he was wasting his time imparting knowledge on me because he knew that I was going to put it to good use. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, so, like the whole thing with him was, you know, and I I understand what you're saying about the bitter thing because I mean he he was hot about that. I mean he could have been one of the biggest stars in WWE. You know, because I mean he was he was the top heel in OVW. I mean. He came up. He told me, man. He 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 came up with a lot of ideas that ended up on television, just not with him. You know, that's something that's yeah. you know, hard to swallow sometimes. You know, like he came up. You know, when the Dennis Rodman stuff was going on, when Rodman was coloring his hair and just being just completely ass out crazy all the time. He yeah. said he pitched the idea for him to do that, and then all of a sudden, you know, Goldust was doing it with, you know, with um with Luna. You know, right? Um, yeah. The whole thing, from what I understand, the whole thing with that was that he, um, they kept telling him to quote unquote get bigger, you know, and we yeah. know what that's lingo for, and he just yeah. he didn't do that. He didn't do that at that time, you know. He just kind of yeah. lost his spot because and, of that. And, and and I don't I, I don't want that I, I don't want that misconstrued what I'm saying is I I'm I'm trying to say that that <laughs> Flash was. Bitter to the business. That, that that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that I assume that, and I wish I wouldn't have. You know, to be yeah. able to 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 learn from him. You know, because you know, Flash is a is a great you know is a, is a great talent. He was always when I did when I did actually you know this what um, interaction I had with him was kind of high and high. <laughs> he was very cordial. Well, he was very cordial when I met him. So. I, I, yeah, I want to make sure and clear that up. <laughs> I don't need any of that. Here. He's he's a he's a tough nut to crack. Don't worry, he knows. You know, he's not. You know, he's not gonna. You're not gonna walk in and meet him the first time and him give you a big hug and a, a kiss on the cheek or anything like that. You know, it takes it takes a little bit for him to get to know you before he starts talking to you and stuff like that. We just happen to be like we were 
in the same place for you know a good long while. So. Yeah. So here's a, a fun question. You know, Neil talked about you know all the people you've had the opportunity to share the ring with, and you know we try to be as we all want to be as professional as possible, and and you know act like we've been there. But who who did you get a chance to step in the ring with where you were just like, holy shit, like marked out on the inside? You may not have shown anybody else, but like you were like, oh my god, I'm in the ring with this person because you grew up a fan. You mentioned that earlier, so. Obviously, you you had a lot of respect and, and you know uh, thought a lot of a lot of these guys. So who who of all of them really meant the most to you to be able to be in the ring with them? Uh, well, Bobby Eaton first, first and foremost. I mean, he was really oh yeah he, he was really one of the first names that I I worked. You know, I worked I, eventually. I tagged with Bobby, obviously, but I mean, I worked right. in, in a singles match. Uh, you know, a couple of years before that, and like um. I'm in the ring, me and Coach BT are in the ring, and the Midnight Express music hits, and I was like, oh, fuck. Here we go. <laughs> you know, that, that was unreal to me because, you know, like legitimately, you know, I, like I said before, like I grew up in – I was born in Southern Illinois, so when I, when I first became a wrestling fan, it was WWF, world class, and we got, you know, Crockett, obviously. So, like, the NWA yeah. stuff was – you know, was my favorite stuff. So the flares and the arms and the, and the midnight express. You know, I mean Bobby Eaton especially. You know, so I mean yeah. just to be a part of that was, and then obviously eventually, I'm um, getting to do the midnight gold thing with him and Brian Thompson and, and tagging for the two years and and things like that. I mean it's still, you know, us coming out with us as midnight gold coming out to the midnight express music. You know, was was awesome. So. Yeah, I can imagine that's uh, that's super cool. And see, the thing too with with Bobby was, you know, there was no, you know, the whole thing was Bobby was getting older. You know, it was harder for him to take singles matches, and I was there to do tag matches so we so he so we could both get the rub. You know, he he could still get the book and have matches stuff like that. So he wasn't just doing signings and things like that. And then I was yeah. getting the rub of, you know, tagging with Bobby Eaton. But there'd be some nights, and I've told the story several times, where, you know, I'd be in the ring and I'd be wrestling with somebody that um, I've known for years or something like that, and we'd be going. And then I'd look over in the corner, and Bobby looked like he was fucking 1986 again. You know what I mean? He, did, he wasn't <laughs> – he's, he's Bobby Eaton. He's not going to be the weak link in any fucking match ever. You know, so right. and I tag him in. I tag him in, and he started going like it was him and rock and roll, fucking in Starcade or something. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know, it, if we actually, I, we worked we worked Neil and Tony, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we did. And you know, that was that's the only time that I've ever that I worked against him. I actually got to tag with him for about six months. In, uh, uh you remember DCW. Um, yeah, because they had me. Yeah, they had me tagging with Brickhouse, and Brickhouse left, and they, then they put me with Bobby Eaton. And I remember us going to the ring to that old Midnight Express music. And how how cool that was! But you know, one thing about Bobby that 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 struck me and is when you work with a lot of those guys, they will come in and kind of take over the match, and they will tell you know when you're putting the match together, they just they'll basically lay the match out. You do this, you do this, you do this. Bobby never did that. Bobby always asked what we wanted to do, and then we would go through it, and then he would tell us what he would change and why. So he was always 
yeah, he was always so awesome about uh, uh, and just consciously trying to teach people. And I just, I, I got so much. I had a lot of respect for him, but I, I, I gained so much more respect for him because of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing tagging with Bobby was one of those things that really instilled a lot of confidence in me, because, <clears throat> like, for the first, you know, for the first, you know, couple matches, you know, I was really, you know, timid. I was like, "Hey, Bobby, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? This that kind of stuff." And eventually, got to the point to where he was like, you know, you know, Golden Boy, you you know what you're doing. You just tell me what you want to do. You know, and like he wouldn't yeah. change anything. I don't remember him ever saying no. Let's do this or no. We should do it like this. So like, he he every once in a while go, hey, can we do this one spot? You know, because I really want to do this. You know, this thing me and Regal used to do or something like that. And we would we would yeah. put that in or something like that. But another great thing about Bobby too was that well, a funny thing was that he he always said that I was the captain of the team, which I always thought was funny. But um. <laughs> Then uh, another thing was that you know, he would not allow me to take a pin that entire time. Like the entire two years that me and me and him tagged, you know, Bobby Eaton took every pin that Midnight Gold ever had, you know, and that was wow. something. You know, he he like even when the promoter would say, "Hey, we're going to do this, this, and this, and let's pin Greg," he, Bobby would go, "No, we're not pinning Greg. Beat me," you know. So that yeah. was that was always. You know, I would that always meant a lot to me because you know he was like, this is you know this 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 thing is for you, is to help you get where you're going because you know he told me one time he's we were talking on the phone and um I don't know we were talking about so I was asking him some question about it, and then uh, we kind of had this pause for you know five seconds and he goes, you know Goldie, I don't want you to ever feel like you know you're down on the business. You know, because you're just as good as as anyone we've, you know, we've been I've ever wrestled with. Is that this was 19, you know, if this was back in the Crockett days or whatever, you know, you'd be running with us and you'd be a star, you know. And I just for him to just even take the time to say that meant the world. Yeah, that's awesome. But you know, going back to where you were talking about, you know, he he would always take the pin. You know, yeah. If if he if he was the one that was always be, if he was the one that that was always pinning somebody, you know, look mm-hmm. at how much more the match and everybody involved got from it with him taking the pins. Okay, the the guy that he's working with just beat Bobby, yeah. so yeah, exactly. putting that guy over, and then you're keeping, not losing the match, me, so yeah, it keeping keeps me strong. strong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's yeah, that's man, that's 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 <laughs> that's genius stuff. And you know, and unfortunately, a lot of guys in his position just don't think that way. You know, no, not at all. That's uh, that's no. definitely a testament to Bobby. <laughs> legitimately, I mean, hey, Bobby Eaton is legitimately. He's not just the nicest guy in the business. He's he's legitimately probably the nicest guy I've ever met in my life. You know, he would he would give you the shirt off his back if you know if you needed it. You know, yeah. And if anybody should have a job down there in Orlando training the next generation of wrestlers, it's Bobby Eaton. You know, yeah, they should have him a house in oh Orlando, and they should be paying him to go in every day to train those guys. They really should. Yeah, Bobby. God, I mean, if, if nothing else, just etiquette. <laughs> if yeah, nothing right. else, just etiquette. You know, the. Uh, 
one more thing I want to ask you about, Golden Boy, because this is something that's actually on my bucket list uh, to get to go to, and you've you've been there. Matter of fact, I think you you've been multiple times, and that's uh, going out to the Cauliflower Alley Club convention in Las Vegas every year. Um, what is that experience like? Because, I mean, my God, the who's who of wrestling is at those conventions, and that is something I've always wanted to go to, and, and it's, it's like I said, it's become a bucket list item. I'm going to go one of these days, but tell me about going to the to the convention and, um, you know, maybe a fun story or something from that. Man, the Cauliflower Alley is just one of those things that it, it's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made just to become a part of it. And even if you can't go to the reunion every year, it, I think every wrestler should, you know, be a part of the Cauliflower Alley. And it's it's only $25 a year to, to be a part of the, the Cauliflower Alley Club. And they send you a newsletter, you know, and, you know, you get to read about some of the stuff that's going on within, within the organization. What the Cauliflower Alley Club is, and a lot of people don't really understand what it is, it's a benevolent organization – that helps out um, wrestlers. You know, if there's somebody that doesn't have insurance, if, um, you know, I think, you know, there was a wrestler, uh, you know, I think one man gang, I think um, his house flooded in Louisiana yeah. and, and yeah. they helped him, you know, get relocated. You know, um, they told an amazing story about how <clears throat> Frenchie Martin, Frenchie Martin was pretty much on his deathbed and one he was. He told him that he was. He was scared to death to be cremated. He didn't want to. He didn't want to be cremated, and um, but he couldn't afford a funeral. And the Cauliflower Club paid for his funeral. You know what I mean? Wow. It's just. Yeah, it's just. It, it's so. With all the you know the, the drama and the politics and all the kind of stuff that goes with wrestling. And all the me, 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 me stuff, and then you have this organization like this that does so much for so many people. It's just I think that every wrestler should be a part of it. So if you're out there right now, go to go to colorfire.org and you know become a member and put put the Greg Anthony sent you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they'll have, they'll ask you on, they'll ask you on the little thing like how did you hear or who who recommended you or something like that, and put Greg Anthony because I I want I want as many people to be a part of that club as, as possible. Um, it's just, like I said, it's just, it's probably one of the best things I've done because, you know, when you grow up a wrestling fan and you guys can attest to this, you know, you're a little bit of an outsider, you know, maybe you find a couple of people growing up with that you can kind of be a wrestling fan with, but a lot of people grow out of it and, you know, move on with their lives or whatever, stuff like that. And then you get into wrestling and you think, well, these are all my friends. These are all the guys that were crazy enough to try to become wrestlers. But then you, even right. within that, you get a lot of weekend warriors and guys that don't really, they just want to go somewhere and tell somebody that they're a wrestler. They don't really want to, you know, hit the road. They don't really want to work on getting better. They just want to tell people they're wrestlers. But when you go to right. Colorado Alley, you go to Vegas, those are all the cream of the crop. We're trying to make wrestling better. In our area, we're trying to do the best we can for everybody. That's what that is to me. And a lot of the, I've and the, you said I've been there. This is my <clears throat> I just got back, and this is this is my sixth uh, reunion in a row. And wow. those those people are, those people are like family, you know. Like a lot of those people, we just we kind of see each other and we hug, and 
how's it going? And they asked me about my, you know, my wife and my kids and asked me how everything's going in Tennessee. I just made friends from all over the country, all over the world. There's, there's a guy that comes from Australia every year. That's a wrestling fan, but that's his, that's his thing. He does every year. He comes from, he goes to the Colorado LA club in Vegas. So, wow. yeah, it's, it's definitely, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I, I really, Jim Ross, you know, we, we, Jim Ross, you know, has went through more than any person should have to go through, you know, recently, obviously, with losing yeah, his wife yeah. as suddenly as he did. And he was there, and um, he got a standing ovation from everybody. And, you know, it was, it was a very emotional moment, to say the least. But, you know, he's, he's, he's there every year, and he just wants everybody, everybody to be a part of the Colorado Eye Club. Well, that's cool. We'll, we'll help spread all. the word on that. Yeah, man. Yeah, and definitely, hopefully, try to make it out one year because I've that's something I've always wanted to go to and you know and become a part of. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, they have seminars. Hopefully, make it they happen. Have, they have a show Sunday night, Monday night. You know, I I've wrestled. I've wrestled every year I've been out there, and um, they do seminars, different different topics. You know, there's a referee seminar. There's a there's a how to promote yourself seminar so people can learn, and then they have you know they have a a Tuesday night kind of like a low key kind of banquet kind of thing where they induct some people, and then the main banquet's on Wednesday night where they do you know like this year it was you know Tully Blanchard, you know one year it was you know DDP, one year it was Jake the Snake, you know one year it was Stone Cold, you know I mean it's just all those guys are there and they, and just because they want to give back to wrestling. In the Car Pride Club, so that's awesome. Well, Greg, we appreciate you coming on, man. We'll have to have you on uh, again because I'm sure we haven't scratched the surface of, of uh, a lot of great <laughs> stories and a yeah. lot of uh, all the cool stuff you've done. And uh, you know, we only have a limited amount of time because we don't want to be one of those podcasts that go on for four or five hours. Cause, you know, people talk <laughs> bad about those, like Coach BT, but. Uh, well, I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on the night, and uh, you're welcome back anytime, man. Just let us know when it's convenient, and we'll get you back on here again, and we'll we'll talk some more wrestling. Yeah, man, absolutely. absolutely. I appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Neil, there he was, the golden boy, Greg Anthony. Uh, great guy, you know, like, like we talked about last week with uh, Jeremiah Plunkett and Sean Schultz. He's a He's another one of the good guys that's out there, you know, trying to make the the business better and and better everyone around him over there in in Dyersburg as a part of NWA Mid South. Man, I've always been a been a big fan of his, and um, you know, I and I've I've always put him over to people because, like you just said, he's genuinely a good guy. Uh, works really hard. Is my God, I can't think of anybody that's any more of a student to the game than than Greg Anthony is. And like I said, we probably just barely scratched the surface of you know stories and and a lot of the knowledge he has. And um, definitely fun to talk to him. Absolutely. Like I said, we'll have him back on in the future for sure. Now, uh, speaking of having fun, we you know sometimes we do at the beginning, sometimes we do at the end. I don't like you know when our guests call in at the beginning. I don't like making them wait through it. So right now we're going to do uh, 
everybody's favorite part of the show, the bad promo of the week. And since Neil's been without internet, Neil usually uh, supplies us with the bad promo of the week, but he gave me the heads up that his internet was down. So I went looking, and oh my God, I found a gold mine of some bad uh, indie promos. So we've got two or three already lined up for the next couple of weeks. Uh, But right now, this is a guy who calls himself Punisher James, and obviously he's wearing a a Punisher mask, and he's got a he's got a world heavyweight title belt draped over his shoulder. And uh, again, I'll I'll go and uh, put the video the actual video link to this up on localstolegends.com here in the next day or two. But right now, check him out. He's the the world heavyweight champion of somewhere. He's Punisher James. January fourteenth at Garland Community Center once again. <clears throat> every woman's greatest sight in Tennessee. Punisher's coming. The TWF World Heavyweight Champion. Southern Pride Wrestling is putting together a great show. And who do they got going? To, who they got facing me? <laughs> that idiot Demon Moon. And since I've debuted as the TWF World Champion, not one superstar in Southern Pride has issued a challenge for my world title. If you're scared, just say so. But Demon Moon, you're the first one on my list. Then I'm going down the list to that idiot Terry Hansen. You make me sick. Enforcer, you still make me sick. Little Joke and that idiot GTO, Jacques Idle, Maniac. I can keep going on and on and on. I would have been victorious Please last don't. show if that idiot referee hadn't grabbed Texas <laughs> Justice. Make no mistake, any referee grabs my, my chair one more time, huh, I'm taking them out of the equation too. I'll see you at the show. Every woman's greatest sight. <laughs> Sorry, the TWF world champion. How could I not know that, you know? Oh my God! Who in the hell is coming up with these names? You got Punisher Man. James, and you got GTO, and you got oh my God! <laughs> Man, I've I found a whole list from that promotion, and the names just get worse. Like we'll have a few of these people. I guess I need to maybe watch some matches on YouTube and get a little bit acquainted with this promotion. Um, give their demon videos a couple extra demon hits. Moon. Demon, demon Moon. Moon. What? <laughs> What kind of a name? Well, I mean, what could, kind of a gimmick could that even be? Well, he's a perfect opponent for Punisher James, obviously. I mean, he's he's got a mask on, but he's comfortable with letting us know his name's James. But he's not going to tell it, let us know that last name to protect kayfabe with that mask on. But uh, Demon, yeah, Moon man, uh, somebody Demon Moon has to be somebody that's wearing like a shitty seven ninety eight. Uh, t-shirt from Walmart. It's got one like that grunge art all over it. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm hoping to find a promo from Demon Moon. <clears throat> Surely he had a response to that killer promo. And y'all, I could think the first time I listened to it, as well as the, you know, as we just listened to it right now, is if the voice was a little deeper and you threw a southern accent on there, all Uh-oh. the ladies' favorite sight. Punisher James. So I don't know if uh, maybe oh, uh, Ghost Rider's moonlighting up in Tennessee doing about seven more gimmicks up there. You know, hell, he might even be Demon Moon. He might have been cutting a promo on himself. You know, he might have finally figured out how to pull that off. But anyway, there I'm you have it. If, if... <laughs> I'm expecting any time for 
I'm expecting any time for uh, Ghost Rider to figure out how to work himself with one of those ten dozen gimmicks he has. Like, yeah. there's going to be a Jimbo Villard versus Ghost Rider match somehow, somewhere. <laughs> I figure at the very least he's going to figure out that he can cut both promos, then stick the mask on someone. And the funny part will be it probably yeah. won't even be similar in size. You know, it'd be like a guy's 100 pounds heavier or 100 Three, pounds lighter. Yeah. A 300-pound guy that's a foot taller. Yeah. Leslie, I got a booking for you. You gonna <laughs> put on that mast, that ghost rider mast, and you gonna wrestle Jim Bovillard down there and down there thirteenth, down there in Columbus, Mississippi <laughs> at the Lavenders Coliseum. <laughs> Ghost Rider Leslie, I taught you everything you know, but I ain't teach you everything I know down there. <laughs> I love doing that too. I could do the whole show with him. And, uh, who knows? Maybe I'll do that one day. If we could get like David Cox as a guest and convince him that Jimbo's your co-host for a week. Oh, <laughs> David, tell him about that time when he's wrestling down there at the at the maximum championship wrestling's down there. You remember that, <laughs> David? <laughs> Hell yeah, I remember that. Shit, we whooped up on them kids. Whooped them good. Should have been on TV. Oh my god. Oh, God forgive us. <laughs> I still haven't gave up uh, the, the idea I told you about. Oh, Carl, I'm gonna make that happen one of these days. I just oh, never sit down to. and that will be the greatest. Figure out what promos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'll be the greatest thing that ever happened to this show. You've got to do Jeff the yeah. Farmer in that voice. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you turned the tables on me. <laughs> Doyle Hargrove, <laughs> you turn the tables in a bad, bad way. Mm-hmm. Now it's time that I do the challenging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this time, I'm going full force. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. Well, I'm sure Greg, I'm sure Greg, likes that we save all this foolishness after the interviews instead of before <laughs> people start it off before he comes on like these guys are nuts what the hell are they doing uh so next week uh memorial day weekend um and our, our special guest is going to be the promoter of iwa deep south wrestling uh, the the brains behind the carnage cup the man who brought you ten dollar wrestling kevin brannon uh, who is one of the most controversial figures in wrestling, uh, especially in the state of Alabama. I think we'll get a lot of listens on this one. A lot of people want to hear what Kevin, have to, what Kevin has to say. Uh, like I say, he's controversial in his wrestling booking. He's also controversial in his uh, political beliefs and other things that I won't go into. He can choose to, to mention them next week if he wants, but Anyway, should be an interesting episode. It should be a heavily downloaded episode. And we may even get a few calls on that one, and we may have to dump some of those calls. But I was proud of myself that I didn't dump Greg Anthony's call when he started 
talking bad about Kevin Owens because I seen him post that on Facebook earlier. I'm like, oh, all right, now don't make me cancel your appearance tonight because I can't have that <laughs> Kevin Owens bashing going on on here. <laughs> I heard him say that. I didn't know what was going to happen. oh i'm sorry the call just dropped we lost greg but uh let me tell you about the great match kevin owens had with aj styles tonight but we didn't have to do that so that's good (laughs) so neil you got anything you want to plug or anything you want to throw out there before we wrap this one up this week well if there's anybody in our listening audience that is a that works for at&t and wants to swing by the taylor world headquarters over here it'd be much appreciated or if you <laughs> want to send over any uh, <laughs> gift cards to uh, the the Red Box, the DVD, <laughs> the DVD Red Box uh, deal, then uh, please send them on over. <laughs> and if, and if, if you have some DVDs you want to donate, you know, uh, movies, wrestling, adult films, whatever you got laying around you're not watching anymore, I'm sure Neil would partake <laughs> of them and maybe even supply a review of some of those here on the show. Well, or not? <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, maybe not. Maybe not some of those. But anyway, localslegends dot com. Sure, check that out. All the we post constantly posting stuff on there. Although I guess I won't be for the, at least the next seven days. So uh, Gene will be posting lots of entertaining things at <laughs> localslegends dot com. Um, and our Twitter. And I did. Uh, I did this week post a couple of matches uh, from our our good friend. Uh, Greg Anthony, who we had on tonight, uh, did post a couple of matches of his. I'll probably be posting a couple of more as well. Uh, also, last week, I did post uh, the links to our uh, other podcast appearance, your podcast appearance on Kill Pop Culture, episode 69, and uh, my appearance on Brian Trammell's Shooting the Shiznit along with Dustin Starr talking about wrestling Jerry Lawler, and we also have several matches involving Mr. Uh, Jeremiah Plunkett, including, and I don't even know if you know this was on there or even was on the internet at all, uh, Jeremiah Plunkett versus Neil Taylor with Diana Taylor from Ripley, Mississippi, is is on our page now. So, that out. Oh wow, I didn't I didn't know anybody had even filmed that. I'll have to go. Up yeah, there. I was doing a search for his matches and it popped up Jeremiah Plunkett versus Neil Taylor. I'm gonna go. Well, that's highly appropriate. Let's throw that up. I didn't have a chance to actually watch it yet, but it's on the site for everybody else to watch. But I'm sure it's sure it's a good match because both of you guys know how to work, like we've discussed through the majority of this podcast. So, oh yeah, it was a lot of fun. I remember the match. I'll have to go watch that. Cool. Well, I guess that does it for this week. Uh, we're gonna wrap things up. Like I say, join us uh, live next Sunday night at 10 p.m. for Kevin Brannon. And we will continue to line up fun and interesting guests from the world of wrestling, uh, both locals to legends, as the, as the title implies. I realize we haven't booked as many legends recently. Uh, maybe I'll have to get on board with that and go hunt up some legends. I don't know. I, I, I don't get as excited about those interviews now as I used to because, to be honest, man, with all the shoot interviews that are out there, everybody and their brother either has a podcast or is on one every other week. And a lot of these people, everybody's heard most of their stories because there's so much content out there from everyone. Um, And they don't necessarily always get to hear, you know, from 
guys like Tony Dabbs and Greg Anthony and, and some of the people that we have on our show. And so to me, those interviews are more fun because we're breaking new ground for the fans that listen and not rehashing some story they've told on six other podcasts or a shoot interview. But that's, you, you know, you may have a different opinion on that, but that's kind of where my head is on that. Well, no, you got to get a, I mean, you, you've, you've definitely got a good point. I mean, my God, I think every word that Jim Cornette has ever said has been documented either on podcast or on YouTube. And yes. as much as I've, as much as I've made it a goal of mine at some point to work with Jim Cornette in some, some incarnation, you know, I tend to agree with you there. I mean, every spoken word I think that he said in the last 15 years is documented. So I, I tend to agree with you on that. Absolutely. But, you know, it was cool to have Conrad Thompson on because everybody hears him every week, but they don't get to hear a lot of his opinion and his backstory because he's, you know, he's talking to either Bruce or Tony. So uh, I thought that was, that was fun to have him on. And it was a, a popular episode and, and still getting downloads now. So that's cool. I'm glad everybody's checking it out and listening to it. Continue to share it if you haven't already. And real quick before we run out of time, did you? I know you've been, you know, without internet and such, but did you get a chance to hear the end of last week's episode with the Jerry Jarrett stuff? Yes, I did do. Uh, <laughs> I did get to hear that, and that is freaking hilarious. And I'm so proud that uh, Dustin and Cerrito got got that out of Jerry Jarrett. That's uh, man, that's good stuff. <laughs> And it justifies every impression that Bruce Pritchard has ever done, in my opinion. Absolutely. <laughs> well, all right, well, we're down to like forty-five seconds, so we're gonna we're gonna tag out and get out of here. But uh, thanks to Neil, thanks to Golden Boy Greg Anthony, thank you to all of you for listening. Check out locals dot com and uh, share these podcast links with your friends. Let them check them out, see if they like them, and we will catch you here next week. Mm-hmm.